Hello, everybody. This is The Local Lens, a podcast where we go inside one community's experience with the drug epidemic. This is coming to you from Stanton, Kentucky, a small town nestled at the foothills of Appalachia in Powell County. So on today's episode, we have from the Stanton Police Department, Sergeant Ian Morton, along with the director of the Powell County Health Department, Mrs. Stacy Crace. So the way that this episode came about is very interesting. Sergeant Morton had actually volunteered to be on the show. So once we got the meeting set up, uh, Miss Stacy Crace asked if she could come in and just sit in on the interview and see what it's like to record one of the episodes. So by the time we actually got to the meeting, I had convinced Miss Crace to actually speak up and be a part of the episode. And the conversation that came about that from having these two different local governments in the same room talking about this same issue is very helpful for everyone there. These two different groups got to hear directly from the other one what they were seeing and what their experience was. And that's really exactly what we started this podcast to do was to have these tough conversations and to be intentional about talking about addiction. So thank you all for tuning in. This is The Local Lens, a project from Powell County Cares, because no one sees it like we do. Uh, My name is Ian Morton. I'm a uh, sergeant with the Stanton Police Department. Uh, I've been with the department since September of uh, 15. Uh, Born and raised in Powell County. I have a uh, political science degree, undergraduate degree from uh, Eastern Tech University. I'm married. I have three awesome kids. Um, That's pretty much it. Nice. And I'm Stacy Crace. I'm uh, the recent health department director. I've, I've actually worked in healthcare my whole career, um, about 18 years. Worked at the health department for most of those years, and then moved into the director role um, for about three months now. Um, I've worked with the issue of uh, opioid crisis and um, substance abuse for many years with different grants and things in our community. Good. Great. Well, um, if you guys would both uh, tell me about your your involvement or role in the whole opioid epidemic and um, more like whether that's coming mostly professionally, whether that's coming from like your like life outside of professionalism. Um, um, most of mine is going to be well, kind of split, really, um, but the biggest majority of it's in my career. Um and my response to it usually is a the enforcement of um, our drug laws in the Commonwealth through statutes, um, and also we you know we respond sometimes with EMS. Uh, anytime there is a uh, overdose call, um, there's potentials for hazards for EMS, so they don't just send EMS. Law enforcement responds, make sure the scene's safe. You know, no uh, no hazards there for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes, depending on if you know there's other persons involved. Uh, we may have to start from helping EMS clearing the scene to enforcing the law. Um, I also, from a personal standpoint, my my brother um, uh, is a recovering addict. Uh, he started young, like like most of them do, uh, probably you know 15, 16 years old, and has been on the wagon for probably you know three or four years now. So, um, so I I have it from both sides. So one of the most common things that the police department has to deal with in these overdose calls is a law called the Good Samaritan Law. And this law grants what is called legal immunity to somebody who calls 911 to get help for an overdose victim. I imagine that's pretty ac- applicable on a lot of your calls. It is. Um, and I actually, I had a, obviously I can't say any names, but I recently had a case where um, 
I had a gentleman, and and and, and we're and with my profession, we're constantly learning, we're constantly evolving because the laws are constantly evolving. Um, but we had a situation where, like I explained earlier, EMS had an overdose complaint. Uh, I arrived on scene. Um, the gentleman was um, passed out, if you will. Uh, EMS were able to get him to come to. When he came to, he became violent, which most people do in a situation where they come up from a, a passed out situation or a dead sleep situation. And, um, you know, of course, that's why that's one of those hazards that we would get called to. Uh, upon putting him in the ambulance, you know, we don't want the EMS staff to be hit with needles or some type of narcotics. I'm sure you've heard fentanyl is really big and mm-hmm. just a little bit can, can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, we found a little bit of a, a substance on him. Again, this is right when Good Samaritan law took effect in, in Kentucky. And um, I sent it to the lab, like any of us would, and it popped, popped back fentanyl. And I took it to the grand jury, or took it to... Yeah, the grand jury, they indicted, and then uh, his defense counsel uh, filed a motion on the Good Samaritan law, and, and the case was dismissed. Um, now, with that being said, uh, it's frustrating that this subject potentially may see this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. I uh, overdose, I call the ambulance, they can't touch me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that Good Samaritan law is also tailored for you not to be able to abuse it to that way but you know it, it, it's a it's a slippery slope when you come to situations like that because on one hand you know I want to make sure my community's safe I want to make mm-hmm. sure that uh, drugs aren't in the street but at the same time I don't want people dying because Stacy's too afraid to call on Nate for get him help because she don't go to jail too so mm-hmm. there's it's, it's a mixed bag so yeah what are what are some of the ways that it's tailored that the law is tailored to not allow the abuse of it so. Um, let's say I execute a search warrant um, at a residence and there's narcotics on the table, paraphernalia, whatever. Um, you can't say, oh, I'm overdosing and overdose, and then all of a sudden, boom, the evidence is, is suppressed. Um, it has to be kind of a, we were there for the overdose first. Now, granted, if you're talking, if I go to a residence and you're talking about mountains of cocaine or pills, whatever, that's going to be a different story. Um, that's something that we've been discussing with our Commonwealth attorney and the attorney general's office as far as how we uh, move forward with, you know, a massive quantity of dope like that. Um, but when it comes to, you know, mere possession, you know, mere mm-hmm. uh, personal use, they're, they're, they're going to throw that out. They're going to, they're mm-hmm. going to cite that in a good Samaritan law and that case is going to be dismissed. So, so when I was reading through the law, it, I think I remember seeing like, if there's, not excessive amounts of it. And like, right. that's, that's where that comes in. Right. Correct. Right, right. okay. Yeah. Most people are going to consider you're going to, it's kind of like, um, they say in the Supreme Court, you know, it when you see it, mm-hmm. um, you're going to know what personal use is. Now, if somebody has yeah. a table full of pills, that's not personal use. But now if they have, you know, a Neurotin or uh, Oxycodone or Lortab mm-hmm. and they have one pill, uh, that can be possession. Mm-hmm. Under the eyes of the law, but Good Samaritan's going to say hey, that's that's personal use, so therefore, mm-hmm. it either not going to charge or be it's going to be dismissed when we do charge. So okay, most people are going to be on the same page what personal use is versus yeah. trafficking or something like that. Yeah. So okay, cool. And then, are there any other laws that kind of get as tricky, or maybe not as tricky, but like they come up as much as that? It's not really a law. I know with and 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 actually, this is a question that maybe me and you can discuss off the air later, but. I know a lot of times 
we have the needle exchange program here. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever we deal with, uh, and, I, and I think basically it's, we let them come get the needles on, on I think Thursdays when today is maybe, mm-hmm. and then when they leave. But now it doesn't give them a free pass. And I think it's a lot, a lot of people think is if, if, I, if I've stopped you at a traffic stop and you've got, you know, a couple ounces of methamphetamine and your needle exchange box, they think, oh, well, no, I got that from the health department. That That's, that's good. No, it's it's not what it's there for now. If if you're if you're at home and you have your needle exchange card and your needles and that's what you're doing your business with, well, I don't condone that, and the law doesn't condone that. That's what that program's there for. That's to make sure that you're not uh, uh, using somebody else's needle and con- contracting a a disease or something like that. That's what that program's there for. But they, they think, some of these people think that um, it's just a, it's a free ride. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got my needle exchange card. I've got my c- container here. You can't touch me. And that's that's one of the biggest things we have to stress. I don't know if you had that problem as well. Uh, but they, they think that that's, that's their good IGL free card. And uh, more often than not, we have to break their hearts and say, no, that ain't how it works, mm-hmm. man. You know, that's not how it works. So. Right. With, I think with both of those things, the Good Samaritan Law and the syringe exchange program, there's there's two sides to it, and, and there's a lot of common sense involved that you can see where one one side would mm-hmm. take it and run with it, mm-hmm. like you said, get out of jail free, and, and twist the meaning of it, mm-hmm. and that's where we have to do the education to let them know this is the purpose of it. So we want you, we don't want you to be afraid to come visit us during these hours, because the you know you can't be stopped um, just for that and mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's not. Uh, go crazy on this day and this time frame. And, and one of those subjects, which is kind of upsetting, and again, like I said, as long as, long as it's being used for the proper, you know, mm-hmm. to keep in the, you know, the, the disease level down and the, the, the rate down. But the, we, myself and a trooper stopped a car, I believe two weeks ago, and I filled two of these Coke Zero bottles completely full and had to get my, my needle container out of needles and they were a participant in the program and, and i'm like you know why do you right. he's like i don't use the same one twice i'm like why don't you turn these in yeah you know mm-hmm. why because what if one of these gets out gets comes out of your i mean i'm can't i'm sure not that you meant to litter but i'm sure receipts have fell out of your car or mm-hmm. something like that we, we've mm-hmm. all done it right. um, mm-hmm. what if that needle gets out of your car and, and a little kid picks that up i mean that's that's awful mm-hmm. so i mean that's that's the far extreme of it. Like I said, I, granted, I know the program does great things, right. mm-hmm. um, but, but again, like you said, you know, there's people that want to always step over that line, that habitual yeah. line stepper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one of the things that uh, we have to look out for. Yeah, and we have to remind um, the participants, you know, quite a bit that this is an exchange program. It's not just a giveaway. Mm-hmm. So there's an expectation that these will be exchanged, and this is the reason why. And um, you know, we tell them. This could be stopped, you know, if if it's not working that way. If we're giving out a whole lot more than we're getting, then you know we can't we can't afford to keep that program running, and the public health measures aren't being met. So it's it's constant education again, just mm-hmm. so that people know the purposes of these programs. Do you think that message gets across to people when they're when they're coming in for the exchange program? I think for the most part, you know, um, the majority, but. There's always um, new people. You know, we, we get each week we'll have new participants and um, people that, that relapse. And so there's always a constant need for the education. But for the most part, 
uh, we see a lot of people that are really appreciative of mm -hmm. the program and, and they follow the rules. So. Mm -hmm. I was walking on Hatton Creek Road a couple days ago and um, just like right there on the on the road there was a needle and I was like, ah, man, it's, that didn't go where it was supposed to go, I'm sure. No. <laughs> but, Do you think as far as being an officer out and about, have you seen a decrease in that since we started? <sighs> I would say there's probably a decrease in what I would refer to our peak clientele mm -hmm. that are local. Um, but now, again, you know, you're going to have your outliers. You're going to have people that they don't care what you tell them. Yes. They see that as a mm -hmm. as a way to get their needles. And then you also have the uh, uh, the out-of-towners, I mean, people that come. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the Burt T. Combs Mountain Parkway. The amount of drugs that pass through that parkway is we always see KSP running interdiction. We try mm -hmm. to run interdiction through the parkway. Mm -hmm. But with the amount of that, that's your pipeline to Eastern Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So um, you're getting constantly getting people getting off the 22 exit. When I first started, uh, this is just prior to the needle exchange program, you had one to two needles and they kind of used those needles until basically they broke or mm -hmm. they didn't work. Um, but now, you know. You're seeing a, a lot, I would say, as far as from your locals, your repeat offenders, your, your, your ones that have been doing this a while, they're not, they're not on the radar anymore for this paraphernalia. They're, uh, they're trying to use the program to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, what, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's what they're doing. But again, like you said, you have, you know, with the, with the Bertie Cope Mountain Parkway and that, that access, you're going to have some of your out of, out of town folks that, that do stop off here and, you know, de you know, drugs are just a problem in Powell County. That it's, it's a problem nationwide. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're going to have some of that come in and, and out. So, but for the most part, I, I think we've seen a little bit of a decrease. decrease. Well, I know one thing that really sparked the program, even uh, getting approved and getting underway, was a study by the CDC that came out, and I want to say it was about 2015. They ranked the counties and as far as on the cusp of a HIV. And hepatitis outbreak and Powell County, Kentucky was number 15 in the nation mm -hmm. at, for at risk. And Wolf County, our neighbor, was number one. Mm -hmm. So when your neighbor's number one and you're number 15 in the nation, it was, you know, something that really um, at the health department kind of fueled getting that program. Mm -hmm. um, and Kevin Hall from Lexington, mm -hmm. they had already had it and he's a local. So he helped that. So I, I want to think that in the last five years, because we've been able to work on and start that program, maybe we've improved our rankings and slowed that. I want to say from, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, in my line of work, uh, the occasion you run into somebody that has an open wound or, you know, they are, they're bleeding, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Uh, about two years ago, I had to be tested for an entire, I had a, a gentleman that, uh, didn't want to go, didn't want to go quietly, uh, and a, a scuffle broke out. He ended up bleeding, and I had an open cut on my finger, about a half an inch long from in the garden. It's, it's crazy of all things. Uh, went to put handcuffs on him, his blood, in, mm -hmm. in my wound, and he he was he said he was hepatitis C positive. So for an entire year, I had to get poked and prodded to make mm -hmm. sure that I it didn't transfer. Now, what they tell me, it, it takes a pretty good amount. To, to transfer yeah. but there's still always that fear you know am oh, i taking yeah. this home to my wife am i taking this home to my kids mm -hmm. uh so granted thankfully i i came back negative on everything but you know it just that's one of those things i think you all are trying to alleviate that 
the potential for transfer and potential of, of contracting mm-hmm. uh, through that program, then obviously onto the other people. So I'll, I'll be all, perfectly honest when I, when it first came in, I, I was one of those guys. I'm like, this is not gonna work. Right. This is gonna be the worst thing ever. And I will say, I believe we are seeing a decrease in mm-hmm. the number of needles we we. But again, you know, it's just it's all about education, making sure they understand this isn't a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. Even working in public health, yeah. I felt the same way. So I can see if you didn't work in public health and you weren't educated on the reasons for the program, I could see why people would be against it because even working in in the office where it goes on, it just sort of feels wrong. At, you know, especially in the beginning, mm-hmm. you think. I just don't know about this. What are we doing back here? You know, but it takes some education and and, and learning about the public health reasons and what what the benefits are. And it, it's not it's still not the most comfortable thing. I don't think for anybody that works there, um, except for um, the ones that have worked in it. You know, and had more experience. The more the more you are educated, the more you work around it. I think the more comfortable you get. But um, but we have. Well, people express their opinions to us and in the community and, and for the most part I, I feel like it it goes well but um, I do understand where people are coming from and hope that you know we have the opportunity to educate more people about that. So in the public health world recently there's been a push for seeking improvements for making things a little bit better and that approach is called harm reduction you know as the term that we're using for for these programs so it's definitely taken the front seat in public health. Mm-hmm. So we've had many opportunities. We actually, last year, they had a harm reduction summit in Covington, and we closed the health department, and everybody went because we thought it was important for even from the clerk to the nurse, you know, every position mm-hmm. in between to get that education so that, I mean, when you work there especially, you need to be able to answer questions about it and feel good about mm-hmm. it. Is there any specific story that you can recall, uh, Officer Morton, that um, that has kind of changed or shaped your whole view of the opioid problem. I, I'll say it kind of relates to uh, the stigma. I mean, when you first get in the sign of work, you know, it's, you think it's very black and white. It's very good versus evil. Uh, there's a lot of gray area when you come when it comes to enforcing the law. Uh, and you first, when you see these people, and young and old. Um, you think well, they're they're turds. They are mm-hmm. the scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe they would put this type of stuff in my my hometown. Uh, and then the late uh, Deputy Rob Matthews, Rob Matthews, Packing Sheriff's Office. Uh, we were discussing situations like that, and he's like, "No," he said, "You got it all wrong." He said, "Most of these people," he said, "Yeah, there's some people that's that, that's that's what they want to do. They just want to get high. They that's what they all want to do." But a lot of these folks, especially your older folks, they got they got hooked on it from the you know the pain mills back when they first started out. Mm-hmm. When when he said that you know and that you know not everybody's tired you know that you know that some people just bad situation um, that really resonated with me and so it came from oh there's a there's another scumbag it's doing dope in our streets to that person got a problem mm-hmm. maybe. Me doing this, maybe me putting them in jail today will help them get the help they need. And then, of course, you have uh, so many things have changed since then, between Casey's Law and drug court, mm-hmm. and there's so many different avenues for them to to use now. So uh, it's it's definitely 
you know, that, him saying that resonated with me, and it's definitely changed my perspective from, you know, they're all turds to, you know, these people got problems and some of them we can help. Probably mm-hmm. most of them we can help. Mm-hmm. But again, you're going to have those some that just that don't want help and, and, and there's no help for them. So pro- probably that. Just a quick side note for the listeners. Uh, Sergeant Morton just gave us the greatest quote of all time. Not everyone's a turd. Okay, forgive me for interrupting. Let's get back to it. And it's somebody's mother or sister or daughter mm-hmm. or son or husband or, you know, and, and there's people that are really hurting for these people and praying for them and, um, you know, they're people. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're a life like every other life that public health tries to improve and save. And I think for me, um, one thing that really helped me um, as the program started was we started seeing people that would come for the syringe exchange and then ask about treatment. And so it's not only about the syringe, you know, in itself, but would they ever have encountered a friendly face to mm-hmm. say, I, I, might, I might not want to do this anymore. What, mm-hmm. what can you do to help me? And so it's building that trust with our employees and being able to get to treatment. So we, we've had some of those success stories, so that really mm-hmm. helps. That's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool to see. Um, so let me ask you this to uh, with your brother. Um, how old was he when? when uh, probably 15, 16, uh, about when he was able to, to drive. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, not that that played a role in it, but definitely makes it easier for you to go to the local dope dealer's house and, mm-hmm. and, and make that purchase. So, um, uh so, so somewhere that age, I mean, so yeah. and that's not very old. No, that's, no, no. I mean, we we had kids. I mean, you know, eleven, twelve years old, and I'm sure you see them too. That you know, already addicted. Mm-hmm. I mean, already addicts, and and uh, they're st- it's awful, awful young. I mean, I mean yeah. granted, there's no appropriate age yeah. to be a, to be addicted, but I mean, it's not like it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's not some you know seventy five year old person or fifty year old mm-hmm. person. Uh, popping oxys in the back, you know, it's our kids, it's our, it's our family, it's our brothers or sisters, our wife, our kids, and yeah. and that's that's what we have to convey to people. Everybody's life, mm-hmm. everybody's life. If you look hard enough, has been affected by this opioid crisis. I mean, you know, like I said, I used earlier about my my brother. I mean, he's just two years younger than me, raised in the same household, same parents. Uh, you know, I'm a police officer, and he's a recovering drug addict. Mm-hmm. I mean. You, on paper, when you look at that, when we're you know, 11, 12 years old, you think, well, these they're, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It, it affects people differently from all walks of life, whether you're a millionaire or you're dirt poor, uh, white, black, whatever. I mean, it, it affects everybody across the board. And if you, if you look hard enough, somebody in your family or somebody you know has been affected by the opioid crisis. And I think it's what we need to do is, is, to, is, is to get a conversation started so that way people understand that it's just not... Oh, you know, there's, there goes that crazy girl. Her her, her kid's a doper, you know. No, you have, may have somebody in your family that's a doper. I mean, you may have somebody that's, 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 that's abusing narcotics, whatever. So I think the conversation is, is probably the best avenue we can do to fight the, the stigma on that. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with the local lens. We want to break down the barriers. We want to make it easier to have these conversations and for people to feel like they can actually reach out and get the help that they need. Because just like Sergeant Morton said... It reaches everybody in our community. It affects all of us. But that's all the time we have here today. I would like to thank WSKV for broadcasting our show. I'd like to thank the Powell County Health Department for making it possible for us to do the show. 
And then, more than anything, I'd like to thank Sergeant Morton for being on the show and being open, talking about what he sees, and also to Miss Crace for contributing to the conversation. So from the Powell County Cares Project, this is The Local Lens. I'm your host, Nate Brooks. Thanks for listening today. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do.